This week, I'm joined by Ollie Sheehan, a mind and equilibrium coach, trainer and speaker. Ollie is passionate about mental health and has been equipping young entrepreneurs and corporate leaders for a number of years now, encouraging those he works with to transform their lives for the better using a variety of techniques. Ollie's backstory is an interesting one, and I think that's why it makes him so relatable. And in this episode, we speak about dating and relationships, love languages and attachment styles. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy. Yeah, that's cool. I'm good. Just like excited to speak to you today. Yeah, same, same. I've been excited for this. I had a good feeling about it, you know. So many of our like mutual friends and things like who I, you know, who I hang out with, who I'm close with. Your your work is amazing. Oh, I I appreciate that. I know for me personally, um, I was in like a bit of a, a place last year where I was trying to overcome a fear to do mm. something and to put my energy in the right direction. And some of your little yeah. um, quotes and stories pushed me to overcome it. Like your anxiety Amazing. stuff and your fear stuff. And I'm in like yeah. a completely different healthy place today. And I followed my dreams, my goals, let go of that fear. So Amazing. I just think you speak very clearly. You're a very good speaker. Yeah. So I was like, I have to have ollie on the podcast it has to be done yeah it has to be done plus I amazing think it's, quite, it's quite good for you as well because i've seen that you've just started your podcast so i'm sure some of my yeah would be happy to like connect with you as well so <laughs> absolutely absolutely yeah it's it's so beautiful because obviously we haven't spoke since like secondary school so like you never know who's doing what so like when i when i saw your profile and the things that you were doing and the things that you're talking about like it's just amazing amazing to see you know that you're taking your life into your own hands and these sort of things so you know back at you really appreciate it how have you been yeah well it's been a lot it's been a long time since we spoke last so like a lot of things have happened as I'm sure in your life but I've been good recently but you know it was it's been a hell of a journey to get here that's for sure well I'm just gonna jump into it I love it to be like a conversation so what happened after school what career path were you originally on and what made you change it how did you become an equilibrium coach yeah so for me um I left I left secondary school I ended up going to university I became obsessed with the idea of success and obsessed with you know appearing successful being validated through that and a lot of that the reason my sort of motivations for that came from childhood of you know going really deep just wanting to be loved wanting to be appreciated like we all do on some level and I didn't realize at the time I thought you know what what's a guy supposed to do with his life and it's like to be as successful as possible so that kind of led me on a journey of um I, I studied economics university um I ended up working in banking and finance and it got to the point I'd worked so hard to achieve that goal. And by the time that I'd actually got there, it was about six months into the program, I was just depressed. I was literally so incredibly unhappy. And the thing that baffled me the most is like, how can I work so, so hard on achieving a goal and feel so miserable after achieving it? And the thing is, I, I've always wanted to help people. I remember I was about 16 and I saw a guy called Tony Robbins. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he's a motivational speaker. And I saw this guy and, and I was like, whatever he wants to do, whatever he's doing, I want to do that. Like, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it's called, but it's like, I want to help people and I want to help people by communicating to them. Um, so it's something I always had, but like, I didn't believe in myself. I didn't think it was possible. I thought like the only way that people would ever listen to me is if like I was successful, like within the financial world. So that's kind of the reason that I, I chose that job. And yeah, it, it led me to a point where I was just incredibly unhappy. 
Um, it got to a point, I remember I was, I, I had really bad anxiety at the time. And I remember I was in a meeting with a really senior person within the bank. And I just, I was looking at them, people were talking around me, but I could not focus on what was happening because I literally felt like I was gonna have to bolt out of the room because my anxiety was so strong. And I remember I ran to the mirror, I went to the toilet afterwards and I looked in the mirror and I thought, you know what, like, this is not worth it. I don't care about being seen a certain way. I don't care about being validated by people. Like I have to do what I love. And what I, what I loved was helping people. But at the time I hadn't really learned how to help myself properly. So I left that job about four years ago, maybe four and a half years ago. And since then I went on sort of like a massive healing journey of sort of understanding my own wounds, understanding some of the things that have, have stopped me in life or some of the things that have motivated me towards relationships and jobs that aren't really in alignment with who I am. And after I'd done that, eventually, you know, naturally something helps you a lot. You want to go help other people. So I began to skill up taking courses, working with coaches and this sort of thing. And then eventually from that, I, I set up my business where I am now. What type of clients have you helped in the past and who are the types of people that seek you out for help? Is it people that are from like that were on the same journey as you business wise? Because I'll be honest with you, I have dated a couple of finance people in the past. Yeah. And I, I don't want to say that they lack empathy, but you come across as a very empathetic person. I do yeah. think it takes a different type of personality, someone a bit colder to succeed in those types of industries. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know what you're saying because I like, I'm, I'm a quite sensitive dude, to be honest. So like, even in those kind of environments, it's definitely a, a lot more cutthroat. Um, yeah. So I, I think different people are suited to different jobs. Okay. So, uh, when I first, when I first got into coaching, I was kind of helping people here and there and I was getting a certain level of results, but it wasn't until I really became more aware of my own journey and where I'd been that I'd been able to help people more. And what I noticed, the type of clients that I've worked with are almost people that have gone on the same sort of journey as myself. And what ultimately what that, what that client's problem is fundamentally is that they just give too much of themselves away. And it's usually because some of the conditioning that they've been through through child, but they've learned not to have strong boundaries. They've learned not to meet their own emotional needs. Mm -hmm. They've learned that other people's emotional needs are more valuable than theirs. They have a low sense of self-esteem and it's, it usually comes from because they haven't got a strong sense of self and what's happened. That's usually happened because they haven't had the parents, hasn't had the ability to mirror back to them who they were through their childhood because their own parents had a lot of kind of stuff going on themselves that they couldn't mirror back who the individual really was. So they've kind of floating, the word I use is floating around in life without these boundaries, without really respecting themselves, without knowing how to take care of their emotional needs. And, and it messes them up in a lot, of, a lot of different ways. And the biggest way I think is the relationships that they attract and settle for. So usually what happens is in some way, every relationship they're in is kind of a reflection of the relationship that we have with ourselves. Mm. And not in the sense, not in the sense that like you'll attract who you are, but it's almost like you'll attract the opposite of who you are. And it's kind of like uh, the way I see it, and this is more of a spiritual belief. <laughs> yo, yo, I think, yo, I think a lot of people are gonna be like, damn, when I finish saying this, but it's almost that I think this is I'm a, I'm a spiritual guy, so I believe everything's a lesson, everything's to be learned from. So it's almost like you'll attract the opposite of who you are. So for example, if you're someone that's overly nice, you're going to end up attracting someone who's more narcissistic and more willing to take advantage of that. And this is why like equilibrium means like this kind of balance, right? It means when two things come together and they're, about, they're, they're in this sort of exchange. 
Now, what happens is people are kind of out of their equilibrium. They're giving too much of their energy away. And so if you're willing to give too much of your energy away, guess what? You're going to attract people who are actually going to be willing to take that. So for example, say if you, you don't value yourself, the person that you'd really want to attract, he would, he would maybe, he or she would maybe see that you don't value yourself and you wouldn't connect. But if you don't value yourself and you meet someone who's more narcissistic, uh, more narcissistic, they're going to know consciously or subconsciously, this person doesn't value themselves. I can get something from them. And it's like, and it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's really tough on some levels, but it's beautiful because that relationship as destructive as it was, it's, it was the only thing that was ever going to teach you the lesson to actually know your worth because it, it, we don't usually change until we get pain. Right. Mm. You know, the only time we like, I don't know about you, but the, the times that I've changed most of my life is when I've been through a lot of pain, like heartbreaks, like being yeah. disappointed, things going wrong. That's the only time I've changed when I'm happy. I don't really want to change. I just want to chill. And so these painful relationships that they go through is teaching them that if you're willing to give away more than what you're worth, you're going to find someone who's going to take advantage of that. How and so can we, how can we set like healthy um, boundaries in a relationship, even if it's not new? Or do you have to like if someone, you know, because you get into these situations with people that refuse to change can't see the problem and just want to take, take, take. So do you have to cut that relationship off? Is there obviously no chance? How do you, like at the beginning of a, a new relationship, make sure that those firm boundaries are in place in the foundation? Uh, I would say the best thing to do is like, make sure the boundaries are set up before, because it's like, when you're by yourself, things are clear, right? Yeah. When you merge with someone else, you don't have boundaries. It's like, it's like putting like water and oil together. It's like, I can't separate it. And it's like, you're already lost almost. You know what I mean? So it's like the best thing to do is if you know that boundaries is something you struggle with, like really focus on, on developing those. And you don't need to be in a relationship to develop those. You can develop them outside of relationship. You can develop it at work. You can develop it with friends. So, you know, the best thing to do is, you know, prevention is better than cure, right? Because naturally what's going to happen is in terms of how attraction works as well, if, you, if you're someone with weak boundaries, you're probably going to attract either someone who's with weak boundaries as well or someone who naturally steps over people's boundaries. And you won't realize that they're stepping over your boundaries because you don't have any boundaries. Yeah. And it's like, you know, for someone that had healthy boundaries, they'd be like, hold on a second, like, this doesn't feel right. And they would, at the first warning sign, they would say, yo, this doesn't feel right. Like, I'm going to back off a second. But people who don't have boundaries because it wasn't developed in their childhood, they don't get that warning. They don't get that feeling that something's off. Or they might do, but because they've learned not to trust their emotions, they're like, nah, it's fine. It's probably just me overreacting. And so like, they're not getting those signals or they're not listening to those signals. So, you know, if the best thing to do before is build strong boundaries before, um, because otherwise you're just going to get enmeshed with the person is and you're just going to become like a, a blob together. And it's going to be so hard to separate who you are and who they are, your needs, their needs what they want, what you want. And if, and there's two sides of the spectrum. Again, usually there's usually someone that's willing to more sacrifice their needs. And there's on the other hand, someone who's more willing to take advantage of the needs. Um, so if you're in the relationship it, and you want to separate the boundaries, well, it's difficult. It's not impossible, but it's difficult, but you need, like you said, you, you need to be with someone who's willing to respect your boundaries. And a lot of people are in relationships where they've, they had no boundaries. They've merged with this individual and they've been acting in this way for so long that them now expressing their boundaries to the other person feels like they're being unreasonable or that they've changed. And it's not that they've changed, it's just that they've woke up a little bit to the fact that they're abandoning themselves like on every corner and that they've given away so much. And, and this is what most, I don't wanna say most of the time, because sometimes if you, if you communicate, hey, this is what, 
this is what's good for me. This is what I need right now. And if the other person doesn't agree with that, um, you gotta you gotta back off. That's what a boundary is for. But a lot of people really struggle with that. And they I feel I feel for a lot of people because some people are in so deep and they're so afraid to be by themselves mm. and they're so afraid to break up. They're like, I I've seen so many people, and honestly, it's one of the worst spaces you can be in. And if anyone's listening to us right now and you're in this space, like reach out to your friends because you can get so lost in there. And you, mm. you, you've completely disconnected from who you are. You're so far from your own home in terms of being connected to yourself. And you know that you don't want to be with this person, but you, the, the attachment's so strong. You don't know what, what it's going to be like to be back by yourself again because you've lost yourself. And it feels terrifying to walk away. But like, trust me, it's never as, as scary as, as what it seems to stick up for yourself. It's never as scary as what the mind tells you. Like, you've got to draw the line, reach out to people that you love and get yourself back in, back in your own space. Communication is definitely key. And that was my issue in my last situation. Obviously being yeah. a journalist, I'm very expressive, communicative. Yeah. I've come on my own, like I would say mental well-being journey. I entered this year mm. and I was like, I want to heal my, you know, childhood traumas. I want to become yeah. a better person just to like, I, I want to say like break, is it like, gen I, we call them generational curses in like spiritual terms, but you want to yeah, break yeah. that so you can have like a happy relationship with your future children and your future partner really? and raise healthy, healthy kids. Um, so I entered this year doing that. I've done like past life. I'm really spiritual. I've done like past life regression, yeah. um, early childhood regressions to like get to the root of the issue. I'm about to do a cambo frog experience where <laughs> yeah that sounds amazing have you heard of it you know what it is i have not no what is it so basically there's like shamans teachers practitioners that oh, wow. um this this is like an ancient thing it's like a frog i think it's is it called like a fat frog giant frog something like that yeah. big green frog they scrape off the poison of it burn you yep. incense <laughs> in your leg put the poison on and then you purge. So you will be throwing up, having sweats. And you said, and I agree with this, like the only time you've had pain to transform is like, yeah, do you see what I mean? And I'm one of yeah. these people who I really like to not push the boundaries, but I sound like a cracker when I say this, when I have fear in my life, I yeah. get really hyped up when I overcome and it, overcome it. It makes me feel like an, I can achieve anything. It's like Amazing. a health thing as well. I want to do it because I want to eventually, I'm not ready for it yet, but in my thirties, I'm gearing up to do like DMT ayahuasca. <laughs> yes, yes. So I, wanna, I love that. I want to put myself through this just to see if I can, it's like a mental challenge to overcome it, purge, clear out the negativity, really go yeah. through it and just up myself the next level. But as you, as you were saying, I completely forgot where I was going with this. I've just gone off on a tangent. This is my problem. I love it though. Like that frog stuff sounds mad. Like <laughs> that sounds if I, mad. If I, I'm hyping myself up for it. The guy said he'll come to my mum's house. She lives close to St. Albans um, yeah. this weekend. And I will do a little audio podcast with him. Just because I'm like, I, I don't know. I love weird spiritual stuff. I need to look at your birth chart after this. I need yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it. please. Yo, I'm interested in this birth stuff. Like I've been looking to it a little bit more. Like I've been hearing about like North Node and these kind of yes. things. Yes. Yes, that's Yo, that was important. A, that was an eye opener for me. Yeah, I'm like a Scorpio North Node, so yes. that's, that's explained a lot about like why my life's moving the way it is. But I'm so open to this kind of stuff as well. I haven't I haven't experienced much of it, but I know people that have, and they've they've not the frog one. That's a that's I I've seen it in a movie before, but um, 
I think I think it's Simpsons episode actually. Like Bart had this like the stuff the stuff scraped off the frog. But yes. I'm open to it, you know. I'm um, listen. Let's let me know how it goes. I will. And then, do. I'm yeah. just. I don't know. I need my. I'm gonna have my. My mum just lets me do whatever I want to do. Like yeah. I called her. I was yeah. like, I'm gonna have to house. We're gonna do a ceremony. She was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Is she spiritual as well? She is. Yeah, I would say over in. the lockdown, she she's got back into her like. I'm Christian again, whatever. But yeah, she had yeah, a yeah. tarot cards in my hand when I was eight years old. Really? Yeah, really? she has a, wow. a moon in Gemini. So she's one of, you probably won't understand that, but like Gemini's no. personality where they love to learn different hobbies, but they only learn them quickly and then drop them. And yeah. I'm a bit more, I like to go deep. So I'm, she's very open Same. spiritually um, to, to most things. Do you see what I mean? And she kind of yeah. broad, like just let me, not run wild with it, but she allowed me to have those types of experiences and she'll never shut me down. She allows me to talk freely about whatever I want to speak about. So it is a a beautiful relationship. That is. Um, Back to communication. Yes, that's what it was. So I've been in my last situation. um, I was seeing someone where they were at the beginning, they were like, communication is key. All of this jazz. I was like, yes, that is my bag because yeah, I'd never dated anyone my own age before. This was the first time. Previously, I have dated people that are slightly older than me. This person claimed to to want to communicate, but it seemed like towards the end, they were allergic to their phone. I don't understand how you can say you can care about someone, but then, you know, it's like you're allergic to touch. Um, So why are men? Because it does seem like some men are really, I, I I would love it to just, to have to have men open up more and to feel comfortable expressing their feelings and emotions because something that has helped me is like creatively expressing myself but also just when it comes to relationships whether it's friendships family I will communicate my feelings I'm a big paragraph person so I may voice note you or text you a long paragraph how can men like become more communicative why do you think there's such a an emphasis on like they're just not allowed to express themselves in that way how can we challenge yeah yeah I think well like if you look at society now like you know you kind of there's more awareness around men's mental health and you know we're encouraged we're encouraging men to to speak up in this kind of stuff but that's only happened in the last couple years like from people have gone through the majority of their childhood like having this perception around expressing certain emotions to be weak um to, to not be masculine and like, you know, there would have been little boys, many little boys through childhood, in fact, probably every little boy on some level that started to experience these emotions of like fear or, or like being upset or feeling afraid. And, you know, they would have been told on some level or another that that communicating that isn't isn't OK. And it's like, you know, parents, parents naturally like back in the day, even from when we were younger, the way that um for example my dad would relate to my emotions versus how he'd relate to my sister's emotions um was very different you know I think I you know I'd, I'd be called like oh you're being a girl or you're being a worse you're being these sort of things and so like the rejection the feeling of rejection and abandonment that comes from mm-hmm. having your emotions turned away because as as kids we're just you know as kids yes we need the physical needs we need the food on the table we need warmth over your house and all these kind of things and safety but just as important is is the um, the emotional needs and i think men's need for emotions has almost been rejected more than it has for women i think with women they're like oh she's upset you know she's experiencing this what can i give her to help her with the guy it's like yo you shouldn't have these needs you shouldn't be upset 
you shouldn't be crying. And so this basic fundamental um, emotional need uh, for guys has just been pushed away. And so what's happening now is they've just completely like separated themselves they've separated the part of themselves that wants to connect they've separated from themselves a part of them that wants to be vulnerable they've separated the part that really wants to communicate how how they really feel and so that there you know you look at guys and you're like well, why isn't he explaining how he really feels like why isn't he connecting with me and it's like because he's not connected with himself he's not expressing how he feels to himself he's repressed it away so much so a lot of the time you know women are like you know how why isn't he more open why isn't he more vulnerable why isn't he and it's like because he doesn't know how to do that for himself and the reason that he usually doesn't know how to do that for himself is because he's been taught that those needs to have those needs validated and soothed and, and, uh, and, and comforted um, isn't valid. And if he expresses those, he'll be rejected. And he, whether he's aware of that, many guys are kind of aware of that. Some guys are not aware of it. So, you know, when you're asking this guy to express himself, to be vulnerable, you know, the child part of his brain is literally going, the last time I did that, I got completely rejected. I got completely shut down and I was seen as this individual. I was seen as not a man. So I think that's a big reason of why guys move a bit differently uh, in the world emotionally. Do you believe in love language, languages and attachment styles? If so, could you explain what they mean and how they affect how we express and what we want from the other person? Yeah, so, you know, uh, people, love languages is like how you communicate love. Mm. Um, and it's like different ways for different people. I think like it's more about, so when someone writes something or someone says something, um, some people like to hear words of affirmation. Some people like to be hugged. And actually, interestingly enough, a lot of guys, a lot of guys actual love languages, physical touch. Yes. And uh, for me it is, it's phys- words of affirmation and physical touch. What are yours by the way? I'm just curious. I feel like mine are all of them. I love physical touch. Yeah. Yeah. I love words of affirmation, gift giving, because it's something I'm a big gift giver as well. Like I get excited nice. to buy gifts for the people I love, whether it's friends or family. I just, I don't know. Nice. I, I'm <laughs> weird. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would say physical touch and words of affirmation is quality time. One of them, or does that come into. Yeah, that is one. Yeah. Quality time, gifts, words of affirmation and service, I think is the fifth one. Yeah. Do you know what? I feel like all of all of them are my love language. You'll have them all. You'll I take them all. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. So, yeah, like I said, one of the things is um, physical touch. I think a lot of guys is physical touch. I think words of affirmation probably as well. Like guys, guys as a whole, I could be wrong, but I'm not really gift guys. No, I'm, I'm not really a gift guy. Like I appreciate it, but like it's not the way that I would communicate love as a priority but most guys i think uh physical touch and because it goes back to what i kind of said when you asked me the last question it's like uh you know girls the way that our parents and society usually reacted to girls emotions and guys emotions is completely different like a guy's not really you know he's not given as much hugs he's not given it in in most cases as an average not the same for every environment but isn't given that touch isn't given that connection isn't given that warmth and those cuddles and actually that that warmth, men love that t- cuddles though i'm just oh, I, you know what i love a cuddle i do love a cuddle guys love cuddles Thank and you. it's because it's because like we want to we want to feel that that's a way that we feel safe and like when you're a young kid like that's what regulates your nervous system that's the best way to like um to calm and soothe your emotions and because we didn't get that because in life you usually you usually want what you lacked most as a kid yeah you know, and I'd even go as far as saying you make gods of the things that you didn't have as a kid. You're triggering. And, 
<laughs> oh, listen, Lassa, I triggered myself with this one. It's so, for example, okay, let me give you an example. If you didn't have a good, if you're a woman, you didn't have a good relationship with your dad, okay, you're going to make God of getting validation, love uh, of, of men. And you'll even make those men a God in your life where the fact that you'll actually abandon yourself yeah. in order to hold on to that attachment. For some people, it's money. They didn't grow up with money. So then, you know, money yeah. becomes their God. And then, so it's like, whatever you lack like, validation, maybe they didn't get validation from their parents. Now they're, they're trying to get as much validation as possible. Validation from others has become their God. And it's like, whatever you make yourself, whatever you make a God, you make yourself a slave to. Yeah. And so people make themselves slaves to their partners. They make themselves slaves to chasing money. They make themselves slaves on Instagram, trying to search for validation. Um, so yeah, that's, 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 I think you asked me about love languages and we've gone a little bit off here but i think one of the things you also mentioned was definitely attachment, attachment styles. styles yeah yeah that's a big one that's probably that's the biggest probably the biggest thing to like kind of know about relationships is oh, like no. knowing Therapy your attachment style, style. yeah Told it's like yeah most people it's becoming a lot more mainstream now but like a lot of people didn't really know um about it so depending on the because your first relationship is the one that you have with your parents yeah um if they're if they're there or not and um that relationship sets the tone for every other relationship that you have because that's what becomes your normal that's becomes what feels familiar to you and as, going back to what i said earlier like as kids we want to seek love we want to seek validation as much as possible and we will do anything and become anything in order to get that you know it's a bit like okay so there's food on the table right you eat it you're all good if there's not food on the table and your survival depends on it, you'll go elsewhere and you'll start looking for scraps. And you'll literally like, if it got that bad, you'd go look in a dumpster and you'd look for these scraps to feed yourself physically. The exact same thing is with our emotional needs. If you are not getting your emotional needs met you'll, by your parents, you will go to look to have those emotional needs met in other places, even if it means it's scraping out the metaphorical dumpster in order to get the scraps of sort of your, your emotional needs met. And I see a lot of people do that in relationships. They settle for these lousy relationships mm. um, and they're like, they're feeding off the scraps, the emotional, the scraps of their emotional needs being met. And that's usually because they haven't had their emotional needs met in childhood. But going back to the attachment theory and how that relates is um, how secure, how safe did you feel with, with your, with your, your caregivers, your parents? Now, the thing is your parents can be there but not be there, be there, if yeah. you know what I mean. They're not present. They're not regulated in their own emotions. And so like as a baby, when you come out of, you know, when you come out of the womb, you know, you're, you're thinking what the hell is going on? Like, I do not feel safe. Like this world is just mad. Like I need someone to mirror back to me, like who I am and what the hell I'm doing here. And so like, you know, with a mum, you're supposed to look back and you're supposed to regulate, you're supposed to look in your eyes, you're supposed to comfort you, she's supposed to soothe you. And that begins to calm the baby down, that begins to regulate their nervous system and creates like emotional wellness and a healthy attachment. So if the baby knows I'm safe with mum, I'm safe with dad, when I need them, they're there. They give me the love, they give me the connection, they give me everything I need, secure attachment. And what that kind of helps the baby do is eventually as we grow to adults, they're eventually been taught how to love themselves, how to take care of themselves and they're secure within themselves. And when they're secure within themselves, they're only likely, most likely to go attract other secure relationships. They're not likely to settle for less. They're not likely to hold on to a relationship and sacrifice themselves because they're secure within themselves. Now, that's, that's the perfect world. That's like the dream world. Most of us, uh, I can't give a statistic, but most of us on some level have attachment issues. Um, 
we didn't feel completely safe with our caregivers and because we didn't feel completely safe with our caregivers we feel insecure within ourselves and then we feel insecure in the relationships that we attract now there's kind of like there's the two i'm going to talk about are, uh there's anxious and there's like avoidant yes and again they're like the same thing in the opposite so they're like they're like mirrors of each other but kind of the opposite so you know if you're anxious attachment you're kind of worried that the person is going to abandon you. That's kind of the, the deep fear behind it. You're worried that your caregiver, which translates into relationships, they're going to abandon me. They're going to leave me. Now, the thing is, if you're, if you're anxious attachment, what it's going to do is you're going to develop a certain connection with someone. Once that attachment's been formed, then the anxiety triggers. Then you're like, like, uh, like you haven't replied to me. Like you, you end up sabotaging the relationship. You end up clinging on really hard and actually trying to control the other persons to make sure that they're not going to leave you. And unfortunately, like self-sabotaging because the very thing that you're afraid of, <laughs> I'm triggering you. Yo, good, good. It means it's working. If, if you're afraid that they're going to leave you and abandon you, you end up doing stuff that actually makes them do that. And that's like, the, that's a harsh reality um, of that situation is you end up pushing them away subconsciously because you're not trying to hold on and grip onto them and attach them even tighter. And for a normal person, that kind of makes you go, whoa, like someone with boundaries, they'll be like, whoa. Um, I need to, I need to get away from this. This isn't healthy for me. So it does the very opposite of, it does the very thing that we're afraid of happening. But interestingly enough, a lot of attached, uh, anxious people attach avoidant people. And it's like this dance between these people. You have one person who's like anxiously trying to hold on and trying to really, um, make sure that the relationship is tight and that they want to secure it. And they want to make sure that the other person isn't going to run away. The avoidant person is almost afraid, either they're afraid that they're going to experience rejection if they open up or they're going to experience some sort of pain or abandonment themselves. But another thing is they could be afraid that their needs won't get met because they're smothered by the relationship and they're afraid they're going to lose themselves. They're afraid that they're, they're not going to have their needs, be able to meet their own needs. So it's almost like one's afraid that the other's not going to meet their needs um, or run away. And the other person's afraid that the relationship's going to consume them and they, they're not going to be able to function within it because it's going to be so smothering. So it's almost like they're the opposites. And it's like a dance that they do between each other where the anxious person leans in and the avoidant person naturally is like, yo, this person's trying to like, I'm going to lose myself in this relationship. And then they back out. And it's kind of like this dance that keeps going in where the anxious person leans in more and then the avoidant person leans out. And that can go on for, for, for God knows how long. Oh, damn. You definitely yeah. were, what you're saying is definitely triggering. I do think it's it's very correct. Yes. My therapist yes. is like, look at your attachment styles, research it. Because I think I can be a bit of a, um, I have a bit of an anxious style, not with friends, but definitely in romantic relationships. Um, yeah. I like my needs to be met. I'm very, I'm more vocal. I would say that I had like, two bad relationships before I was 20 um yeah. and they were like like what you said like I wasn't voicing how I felt my needs weren't being met I was giving too much and not receiving and I was very afraid to let go because I'd lost myself but yeah. since then I've been very like expressive with my wants my needs etc but then I do feel like I can sometimes attract um avoidant people yes so there is that dance that you spoke of there when dating though how can we like avoid emotionally unavailable people like are there any signs that that people can look out for early on 
Yeah, yeah. I want to go back to like uh, the um, that because that, again, it's on, on some level, it's attraction. So it's always like where we're at, we'll end up attracting that. Yeah. Um, you can't you can't cheat the universe. You can't be like, you know what, like I'm going to use these tools and techniques and then I'm going to be able to like attract someone that's healthy when I myself haven't completely sorted myself out. So the best the best way to do that, you know, um, to avoid to avoid those situations is to be completely focused on yourself, because then you'll find a mirror of that on some level. And it's not about being perfect because, you know, we're, we're all messed up in our own ways. And like, I think we come here to learn and grow. Yeah. Um, but the best way to kind of like to with the anxious situation and the avoidant is like really focusing on meeting your own needs, really focus on building that secure attachment within yourself, because once you build that strong attachment within yourself, and you feel fully secure within yourself and you feel like I can meet all my needs, it completely gets rid of, it begins to release the attachment because you're attaching to them because on some level you feel that you can't meet your emotional needs. And the reason you feel that is because when you were a kid, you didn't know how to meet your emotional needs. So that was true in that point of your life. But it's almost like we don't grow out of that belief that we're helpless and that we can't meet our own emotional needs so that we need to cling back onto another person to meet those needs. So the thing that we really need to do is like what become an expert at meeting our own emotional needs because when you become like a sovereign being and you meet your emotional needs, there's no need to attach to anyone. If someone comes or someone goes, that's cool. Like that's life. I'm going to be a little bit upset, but I'm not going to cling and completely ruin my life and abandon yeah. myself and, and mess up my mental health. So it's like it, the reason that we get anxious is because we believe on some level that they can give us something that we can't give ourselves. And so what I would say to someone who's anxious or avoidant is like meeting your own needs to such a point that you become independent. And it doesn't mean that your partner still can't meet your needs. You know, you wanna be with someone that meets your needs, but not to need them to, to meet your needs, not be dependent on it, not have your life depend on this person giving me validation, love, connection, these things. So that's the best, best, best way to kind of avoid someone who's, you know, not a great partner is, you know, because attraction, attraction is like a weird thing. We can be attracted to someone because they reflect some of the similar dynamics that we had in our childhood. And it can feel like chemistry. It can feel like, yo, this person is like, this could be the one man. Like <laughs> I've been there. I'm like, this person could be the one. But actually it was just my nervous system reacting to familiar dynamics that happened earlier in my childhood. And it felt like love, but really it was sort of just attachment. So the best way to really heal that is to meet your own needs, become independent because once you know that you're fully secure within yourself, once you know that you can meet all the needs, then, then there's no need to be anxious. There's no need to cling and you can relax into life. People come, they come, people go, they go. We usually attract people, the wrong people, because we're looking for them to meet some of our needs. And it's like, we're shopping like, right, what, what guy or girl can I find that can give me validation? This was a big one for me as well. Like, and when you go out there, you're not going to find, you know, you're not going to have the relationship you expect. You're going to get a lesson. You're not going to get love. Yeah. This is yeah. true. I was yeah. listening to, um, I listened to like things that I don't agree with, all different, like I would say political discussions. And yeah. I found like a podcast type of channel called the New Culture Forum. And they were saying, it seems like mental health is on the rise and it's really in and people are, are using it as an excuse. I feel like the channel was quite conservative. Yeah. Why does it seem like so many young adults are suffering from anxiety now? What do you think could be triggering this in young, in young people? And do you think social media plays any part? Yeah, so I think, we've, I think it's one of those things where we've just become aware of it. Like back in the day, like the olden days, like you, you're either crazy or you weren't. And like, I think there's, oh, there's such, 
there's just more awareness around it. And I know within like the mental health industry, like it's changed so much where people have always had this focus on like treating symptoms. Like if someone's got this, like what's the symptom? And like people have had no awareness around what really causes most mental health problems. And like one of the things that I've learned um, over my journey of the last couple of years is like most, a lot of mental health problems, if not most come from an accumulation of unmet needs in childhood. Mm. And like, cause when you have that emotional need not met again and again and again, it's it stockpiles to the point where it turns into like a mental, what we call like a mental health problem. And then it feels really bad. So I don't think it's, I think this has always kind of happened. I think it's always, people have always really struggled with their, their mental health, but it was almost not given the attention and awareness um, that it's been given now. And it's, it's still kind of fresh. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's always going to be a case of there's a potential where people do use mental health um, problem, uh, mental health issues as, as an excuse. There's a possibility for that. But really, I think honestly, I, I think our mental health as a world sucks. I yeah. think it's like, a, I think it sucks. I think we've got a crisis. I think we've always had a crisis, but now we're actually becoming aware to yeah. it. Yeah. Um, most people don't know that how mashed up they are. That's the maddest thing. Like most people, there's a lot of people that are like, oh, I'm fine. Like, you know what? There was like a, I, I had depression for a, a large period of my life. I didn't even know I had it because you can't really compare your mind to anyone else. You know, it's not like you can flip the lid and go, this is my life. You can express yourself if a guy is a bit more difficult or was a bit more difficult, but you don't, you don't know what's normal. You don't know what's right. And so a lot of people don't realize that their mental health is in a state. They really have no idea. And it's not usually until they, they, they hit these dark night of the souls or these deep, deep depressions that they're like, something needs to be done here. So I think, I think, I think society is becoming more aware. I think like the mental health industry is like shifting a lot, but I think, I think there's more awareness to come. I think we've just sort of begun really. And, you know, you're always going to get different opinions and some, some are half truths. How do you as a coach help your clients tap in to their natural confidence and overcome fear and anxiety? Cause I do feel like fear and anxiety are just blocks that are in our own minds that are holding us back. Yeah. So confidence and then fear, fear and anxiety. And, and sometimes the two, the two are linked. So like it goes back to like knowing what you need is a large aspect of this, but like anxiety is basically your body saying, Hey, I don't feel safe. That's basically it. But the thing is like anxiety can usually manifest from experiences that we've been through in the past. And it's almost like we go through experiences in the past. Our mind does not forget that we went through those experiences. And when it sees an experience similar to the one that hurt it in the past, it can trigger this anxiety. It's almost like your, your mind is like this supercomputer that stores all the data and experiences that you've been through with the intention of avoiding pain that you've experienced in the past. So a lot of time when we're fearful or we're anxious, it could be caused by many reasons, but a lot of the time when we're fearful or anxious, we're afraid that we're going to experience pain that we experienced in the past. And that anxiety is kind of a tool to try and help us steer away from, from that pain. Now, the thing is that the mind doesn't really know. The mind and the subconscious isn't really aware of time. So, you know, you could have had an experience where, I don't know, you express how you felt and your dad shouted at you. And you've completely forgotten about that, that memory, but your subconscious mind and your body hasn't. And so you might find that when you're going out into environments and someone asks you like, hey, hey man, how are you doing? Suddenly this fear and anxiety is triggered and you don't even know why. And so it's good to get awareness around where the anxiety is coming from. What am I really afraid of experiencing? What's the anxiety trying to protect me from? And giving some context around that, like looking a bit deeper into that, like, okay, like why would myself, why would I be afraid of experiencing this? Is this something I've experienced in the past? And that you can get some more insights from there. In terms of confidence, 
you know, confidence. I used to think it's like, oh, if you achieve a load of stuff or if I appear a certain way, then you earn confident and you feel confident. And like confidence is, is so much more about just feeling safe to be yourself. You know, that's why I call it like authentic confidence because you can, like I, for, for a large period of my life, especially like during my school days and like thing, I, I pretended to be confident. I wasn't confident at all. And I just didn't feel safe to be myself. So what, what confidence is, is one, it's like building up the self and it's feeling, knowing the self and being safe to be the self. And so like a large part of that is boundary work. It's, it's expressing what you need. It's expressing how you feel. It's, it's valuing yourself and actually proving it to yourself. There's no point saying like, I love myself. I love myself. I'm confident saying these affirmations and you're allowing someone to treat you really bad in a relationship or you're not going for your goals because you don't think you're good enough. Like you have to back it up with action. Um, but more than that, really about confidence is about reintegrating, bringing back all the parts of you that have been pushed away throughout your childhood. Because what happens is as we go through childhood, you know, as the kid's born, they're pretty authentic, right? They're pretty mm-hmm. confident. You know, they're just themselves. They're like this glowing light. And what happens as they go through life is they get battered by life where they express a part of themselves and their mom or their friends are like, like, oh, what's that? Or, oh, you can't do that. Or why are you being like this? And it's this shame. What happens as a kid, we, we personalize everything. So what happens is all these different parts of us that we've expressed get rejected and pushed away. And then it kind of, we become ashamed of that part of us. And then we say to ourselves, we make a promise. I'm not going to show that part of me again. I'm going to, I'm going to replace it with a fake mask. So I'm going to pull back this part of me, how my authentic self, and I'm going to put a mask up to replace that part of me that, that that's authentic. And as you go through life, this mask just gets bigger and bigger and bigger to the point that you can be completely disconnected from who you are. And it doesn't make you feel confident. So developing confidence is really about reintegrating those parts of yourself that you don't like. And one of the best ways to do that is conversations. It's to, to show up in, I think it's shame is released in safe spaces when stories are told in safe places. So like when you, when you have a safe space and you express all these parts of yourself that you're ashamed of and you're with people that can love and hold space for you, it's like a disconfirming experience for your brain. And your brain's like, oh, you know what? Like that, that part of me isn't as bad as I thought it was. And then the shame's released and then that part of you is almost reintegrated. And it's like, that's the sort of process that an individual needs to go on. I just want to ask, because I, I did have a little listen, as soon as I saw that you posted that you had a podcast, I thought, oh my God, thank God, Ollie, thank yes. you, I did follow yes. it straight away. How can Appreciate people that. connect with you, and what type of things are you going to be talking about on your podcast? Because I find you so helpful, you're like a little angel yeah. in my life, even though I don't, really talk, I don't really talk to you, but it's like, the work you're doing, I don't think you realise, even if people aren't saying it to you, especially those of us that went to school with you, it's yeah. really, it's so helpful, Ollie. So what yeah. are the things you're going to be talking about on your podcast? How can people Amazing. connect with you? And where can where can people find you for private coaching? Yeah, so in terms of where they can find me, um, mostly on Instagram, you know I'm on there, but the podcast is definitely something that I want to invest more into. I've, I've kind of been niching down for the last couple of years. So I started like doing leadership coaching. I did like high performance coaching, but like at my heart it's relationships. And it's because like, I know for a fact, I don't know about you, but that's where I've experienced the most pain in my life. It's where I've experienced the most happiness, but it's where I've experienced the most pain. And like, there's that, that there's no depth. Like there's no, it can get so painful. It can get so painful that people even take their lives because of it. I think it's one of the biggest reasons why people take their lives. So relationships is something that I'm, uh, I love uh, so much. So that's, that's going to be the thing that I focus on now predominantly on the podcast. 
um in terms of reaching out to me just drop me a dm on instagram if this is something you've listened to if you vibe with it if there's some bits that have helped you like just let me know and we can have a conversation from there and just search ollie sheehan on ollie sheehan ollie sheehan on spotify the insight well it's the insights with ollie sheehan podcast but you're i'm sure yeah. if you set your name it you will yeah straight up thank you for your time today ollie. yeah thank I you so really much Evan. i loved it. it yo i loved it i loved it Thank you for listening. Please tune in next week, Monday, for a new guest and a new exciting topic. Feel free to check out more of my content at ebbyonline.com.